Hello and welcome back to another episode of Vikings Happy Hour. Tonight, we're live from Lake Monster one week in a day, or two days actually, uh, before the live NFL draft coverage here at Lake Monster. Um, we have Deontay Lee joining us. He's not quite here, but he will be joining us to talk defensive prospects in the upcoming NFL draft. Uh, we'll co cover the uh, the Kevin O'Connell presser from yesterday and the uh, the news today that another star wide receiver wants out from his team. So grab a Lake Monster beer and enjoy the show. Welcome to Vikings Happy Hour, where we mix our favorite beverage and talk of your Minnesota Vikings. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Vikings Happy Hour. I am your host, Matt Anderson. Uh, I'm joined tonight by my co-host, Ryan Ortega. We are here live, like I said, at Lake Monster Brewing in St. Paul, Minnesota. And we are joined by none other than Deontay Lee, fresh off a, a new job at The Athletic. Congratulations. Hello. It's nice to finally meet you. And how are you doing this evening tonight, Dante, Deontay? I'm doing well, uh, for starters. Thank you guys for having me, secondly. And um, I'm, I'm just glad, you know, to be in a position where this platform kind of grows. It gives me an opportunity to talk about some different things. And, you know, I didn't step into football coverage with my mind, particularly on the draft. But the one thing that I've definitely grown to understand the longer I've spent time in this thing is that um, the draft kind of gives you an opportunity to look at football on both ends of the spectrum, right? I get to look at college and the pro game and kind of contextualize things that way. So I kind of appreciate the fact that I get like a 360 degree um, type of view of this whole game, which, which I obviously love as much as I do. Absolutely. And so for, for those people watching tonight and who will be listening on, on the podcast uh, who don't know you, uh, mm -hmm. can you a little bit about like your journey to this point and, and kind of, you know, what got you started in, you know, kind of covering the NFL draft? So to, for me, a lot of this kind of starts on my way out of college. So I went to Sacramento State <clears throat> to go play football there. And it kind of became clear. I got, you know, spent some time trying to recover for some injuries. And I think during that time, it kind of became clear that I needed to have half a mind on what I wanted to do with my life after uh, my, my football career was done as a player. Um, and I changed majors and started um, started studying journalism. So when I'm leaving Sacramento State, uh, started a family then, and I came home. And obviously, you know, after spending all this time in these journalism classes, I figured I should put it to some kind of use and started up an independent blog. Um, was talking about college ball for a little while, a little bit of scheme analysis, some things like that. Uh, kind of transitioned and, and made it a little bit more professional looking through Squarespace and all of those types of things. And um, wrote something about Ohio State, which came across the, the Cleveland.com desk. They brought me in, did a guest spot on a podcast. And then from there, I started freelancing from freelancing through Cleveland. I got to PFF and now I'm here. And, um, you know, that it, it's kind of just been an evolving thing. So, like I said, it, it wasn't so much that I stepped in the door saying that being able but to cover the draft for a publication as large as the athletic was, was necessarily as much as it was that I wanted to make sure that I was as close as possible to talking about football with as large an audience as I possibly could um, in a way that I was hoping at the time would kind of grow the discourse. So I've, I've been very fortunate, I think, to be in positions to do so. And obviously being here with the athletic and then being you know, kind of acquired by the New York Times, it gives me an opportunity to really access a lot of eyes and ears. So I'm looking forward to what this opportunity holds for me. 
Absolutely. And it's a well-deserved, I mean, I, I read, you know, some of your work here throughout the years and, and you, you really do put out great content. I do love the fact that you kind of got your start, you said in a way with the Ohio state and in that piece article that you did for them, you know, was that the team that you kind of cheered for growing up or uh, what, what led you to write that piece specifically? Um, I'm an SC guy. I'm a Southern California kid. So obviously USC is kind of the flagship program for, for my little 500 mile radius. Um, <laughs> I won't take it personally, um, but the Ohio the State thing was the only reason I say that is I'm a I'm an Oklahoma guy, Lincoln. Riley okay, left oh, okay, well, yeah, okay. I'm not. I understand. I understand. Yeah, yeah. Hey, but there were some great Vikings players that came from USC and UCLA and absolutely out there on the West Coast. I'm really hoping, you know, you know, to the point of Vikings players that that have been a part of, you know, Southern California's great tradition. Like, I hope that Everson Griffin is in a really good place spiritually and emotionally, you know, and mentally. And he's able to get back to contributing and doing the things that he does best, which is, you know, playing defensive end at a high level. Um, But to to answer your question about why I wrote it, um, I was just thinking about that. It just happened to be one of the one of these kind of dull periods um, in the offseason where I was just thinking about that uh, 2018 playoff team where they had Chase Young, you know, you've got three and eventual NFL corners, right. Kind of led by Jeff Okuda at the time. Um, you have a Lee Cooker's younger brother. Um, so it was just like a really special defense, right. And they ended up kind of losing at the end to Clemson. But I, I thought that it was a defense that, that should be looked at, you know, in a scheme and kind of that four down single high role, which is almost like defunct now, you know, in football are definitely not talked about in the same kind of way. So I was just kind of really driven to kind of talk about that, why it worked, why it wouldn't work, um, you know, some of the little intricacies about it. And that was really what kind of drove me there. And through that, you know, gets me in a Big Ten country. And now I'm here, you know, with the athletics. So I think it's all more circumstantial than anything. Well, congratulations on making the athletic. One of our best friends um, in the Viking sphere is Arif Hassan. And obviously he writes for the athletic as well. Does great work. He started out um, blogging way back when and hooked up with Daily Norseman and does outstanding work. You are in good company, just to let you know. Absolutely. Getting the audience of the entire New York Times, you can't beat that with a stick. That's awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, we're very, very fortunate. Deontay, I just just want to quick apologize here. I'm not ignoring you uh, in the slightest. I... We have some. Te- we're doing a live show here, and we got a little bit of technical mm-hmm. difficulty. So I'm trying to figure it out. So, oh, no uh, sweat, man. No uh, sweat I have sticking with us um, to to kind of buy us some time here. How about you tell us about some of your uh, your favorite NFL defensive prospects in this upcoming draft, uh, especially as they might pertain to the Minnesota Vikings? Um, I'll kind of go with some guys at, at all the different position groups, right? Every level of the defense, so. The defensive interior, um, Devontae Wyatt has been a guy that I'm a big, big fan of. Um, you know, I, I kind of I've been joking around joking throughout the draft prospect draft process that if he didn't have to play alongside the best defensive interior prospect in college football, he might actually be in the conversation as the best interior defender in in, in uh in college ball. Now, obviously, you know, as I've kind of done some more research, when we get later in this process. Um, I've seen some things kind of bandied about with some off-field stuff, you know, that I'm really interested in kind of sussing out, you know, in terms of, 
you know, I, I believe he has like some domestic disputes uh, issues that, that have been reported on that I, I'm really kind of interested to see being hashed out and getting some more details on. So we'll kind of see how that affects his draft stock. But that's a guy that I've been really kind of interested in, him him and Logan Hall. You know, Logan Hall is one of the few guys that kind of plays as an interior defender now, but can flex out and maybe even rush off the edge. That's 6'6", 260, got great hands, you know, has got an ability to really get after the quarterback, plays with really kind of, you know, plays heavy for a guy who's been adding weight basically every year in his career um, at Houston. I think that as he continues to grow, and I think that he has an opportunity to top out in that 275 to 280 range, that might be a dominant defensive player, you know, by the time we get to the end of his rookie deal. So that's another guy I'm fascinated by. Um, out Do on you the picture eight, him, hold on. Do you picture him as a five tech? I think, well, that's kind of the interesting thing. I think if he stays at 260, then yes. I think that he'll get flexed out to five technique. Um, if he continues to add weight or if they, whatever team drafts him believes that they can add more weight to him without it coming at the cost of his athleticism, I think he can be a dominant three technique right. as well. Cool. So you can do doesn't you can do a good bit of different things with him and it kind of all depends on what you're doing defensively. Um so that's another guy I'm interested in. On the edge, Kayvon Thibodeau's been the guy I've been banging the table for since, yeah. since day one. You know, I, I understand that his personality type might rub some guys the wrong way. Um and I I'm kind of sympathetic to that. But if you're talking about who has the highest ceiling as an edge rusher in this class? I don't know how you can watch any all of these guys' tape and not walk away from it, feeling that Kayvon Thibodeau is probably the closest to becoming an all-pro edge rusher of the guys who are available in this draft. And I think that if his focus is on football the way that he swears that it is, you know, the, there's an opportunity for him to be a really big difference maker there. Um, at the linebacker yeah, I, spot, I'll oh, go ahead. I just think like, people are overthinking it. Like I think so, too. I think- I mean, like, and again, you know, you overthink it for a reason, right? Like people did the mm-hmm. same thing about Josh Rosen a couple of years ago at quarterback and it happened to be just absolutely correct. Right. So there, there's precedence where, you know, it, it works and it doesn't work, but I, I just, I look at this, I look at this kid and I say, gosh, this is a baller and the absolutely. natural talent and, and no offense to Oregon, but I, it's not like they're like out there putting out elite talent in the on the defense year in and year out outside of maybe defense or like defensive back. I think they do right. a pretty good job there. But like especially in the on the defensive line, I don't think they're putting out great talent. So imagine putting him in a room with uh, Andre Patterson, who you know we know from the Viking mm-hmm. days here, this time here, or putting him in with like Wink Martindale or some right. of these guys that really develop these defensive line. Um, D or edge or you know whatever you can play outside linebacker defensive end four three defensive end you know you, you really look at a guy who has every tool in the belt to be an elite guy. Absolutely, I'm with you 100. percent And to your point, I think that you know again, no disrespect intended at all for the defensive staff at Oregon while he was there, but the truth of the matter is that he is underdeveloped right now. You know, and I think a lot of that does kind of have to be, you know, you have to kind of ex- examine that in your projections on players is how close you think they are to their ceiling based on how they've been coached. And I don't think that he has been coached to really lean into his best traits, which is that explosive first step, which is the ability to kind of work and bend off the edge. You know, not everybody teaches that as pass rushers, you know. So getting to a place like the NFL where that is obviously the premium, premium, premium skill is the ability to win with speed on the edge. I think that it's probably there's probably going to be a lot of addition by subtraction because he's probably going to step into a front step into a building and be told by his coaching staff, all the stuff you worked on at Oregon, throw it away. 
We're going to give you, we're, we're only, we're going to constrain you to the things that you do best and really lean into that. And I think that that'll give us an opportunity to see a special player in Thibodeau. Um, beyond that, second level guys, um, one of the players that I've been banging the table for since the beginning of the offseason has been Chad Muma from Wyoming. Um, you know, okay. a linebacker who can really do it all. I think he plays great in coverage. Um, he's got great spatial awareness, great lateral mobility. Um, I think that, you know, when we talk about the modern linebacker, especially in zone coverage, right, being able to take away those intermediate throwing windows, understanding the passing concepts that you're seeing, I think that he's great at that, and his tape shows that. He's got great ball skills for a linebacker. It's very clear that he was a safety that converted down. Um, and then beyond that, right, like if, if you look at him as a run fitter, he absolutely has great pace. I think he's physical enough. I think he knows when to fit gaps, and he's a dependable tackler. So in terms of checking off all the boxes, I think he makes for an ideal day two type of pick that can probably step in and be a starter for you immediately. So that's the linebacker I'm really kind of tied to. Well, and they must have something out. They must have something out in the water up there in the mountains because, Mm -hmm. you know, you have Wyoming, Chad Muma, uh, is it Muma? I think that's it. Mm -hmm. You got Troy Anderson out there in Montana. Montana. And just an athletic freak. Uh, Do you you know much about Troy Anderson? Because I think that's a, a player I was interested in learning a little bit more about. I haven't watched enough on him. So Troy Anderson is kind of fascinating to me because I do think that there are some gaps in his game, especially as a run fitter and tackler. Um, But if you want to talk about like ball of clay, raw athletic ability, he certainly has that. I mean, he showed it at the combine, right? Going 4-4 as a linebacker, you know, you're going to raise some eyebrows with that. Um, And and I do think that he shows that on tape, especially out in space. So the biggest thing for him is just showing that he's dependable enough to be useful on first and second down or against teams that use those condensed formations and really challenge you in terms of fitting the run. So that, that to me is the biggest question that he's going to have to answer as an NFL player, but athletically and in coverage, he certainly checks all the boxes in that way. Amazing. Uh, That's great to hear. What do we got for uh, cornerbacks? For corners? I mean, it's Derek Stingley. To me, it's Derek Stingley. I've been on this since day one, since 2019. I'm not budging on it. Um, it's not to take anything away from sauce Gardner. I'm actually working on something with the two of them, um, today that'll probably run by the end of this week. Um, but again, if we're just talking about like technicians at the position and you think about what some of these young corners have done for some of these defenses, AJ Terrell in Atlanta, um, Patrick Sertan, the second, you know, for Denver, like having one of those types of man coverage one-on-one, you can turn your back give him the best matchup and understand that he's going to win at least half the time. I think that that opens up so much for you defensively and that's who he's been at his peak. Um, that's not to say that some of the play hasn't been inconsistent. I just think that the inconsistency is overblown because we're kind of going from, well, if the point of comparison is 2019 where he looked like prime Revis, if that's the baseline, then, you know, yeah, anything can look inconsistent if you're holding it up to that. So, yes, I would have liked for his entire career to kind of track that way. Um, But I still see that ceiling of number one lockdown all pro corner there. He's actually a player in terms of Minnesota that I've been really, really interested in, um, especially as a. especially as a Patrick Peterson kind of gets a little bit older, you know, if you want yeah. to move him inside as a bigger body to play in the slot, because I know that McKenzie Alexander had a lot of trouble last year 
playing in the slot. So I know that's a position that they're probably looking to address. Um, I think that having a guy like him, like, like Stingley there, you get the tutelage of Cameron Dantzler and, and Patrick Peterson, and it allows you to maybe extend Peterson's career a little bit because he doesn't have to work as often outside. Um, I think that would be another really good fit uh, for the Vikings if they're looking to add some talent defensively. Yeah, I, th- I think so, too. And and so it's funny because we've had a few different draft, uh, you know, experts on over the last couple of weeks. Um, and when you look at the different um, prospects that are coming in, some people love Stingley. Some people hate Stingley because of the injuries and the inconsistency, as you mentioned, and, and the fall off from 2019 to where we're at today. And that concerns a lot of people. So McDuffie is being mentioned over Stingley or Andrew Booth being mentioned over Stingley. Right. I love Stingley. Stingley is my number two. I got Booth at number three. Obviously, I got Gardner at one. Um, so I'm, I'm on board with you. And I think in 78, 79, 70, 80% of the Vikings fans are, are hoping Stingley's that pick. Um, uh, a week and a day from now. So right, uh, we absolutely. love bringing positivity from him. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's a guy that, I, like I said, I've thought the world of him since 2019. I haven't really budged. And I think that, again, it was the same way we're talking about Thibodeau, right? I think that leaving some of the dysfunction that was LSU in 2020 and 2021 will probably serve him really well. You know, we, we always talk about this in terms of quarterbacks and less so in terms of non-quarterback, you know, high-profile players. This is a corner that's basically played for three different defensive coordinators in three years, right? And obviously when he was with the best one, Dave Aranda, you got the best returns. So I think if you get him with another elite-level defensive mind that really knows how to cut him loose and, and play to his strengths, we can see return the same kind of returns that we saw in 2019. Love to hear it. Love to hear it. Um, why don't we go, why don't we go safeties and then we'll go into maybe some uh, specific prospects that I had sent you a list of or Matt had sent you a list of and we can kind of dive Absolutely. in. Join us in a second. We're we're testing out uh, sound for our live drafts. Gotcha. So we can gotcha. get this projected onto the loudspeakers. So that's really what we're doing. So that was pretty sweet. No, man, that's a sweet deal. I hope it does work out. That would make for a really cool broadcast idea. Um, for safety, Lewis Team, Georgia. Um, that's been another one of my draft crushes, one of my draft favorites. Um, another do-it-all type. Like I think that the common theme for me throughout this draft is guys who are versatile. Um, and I see all of that in Lewis Team. I think that him showing up to the combine as a legit 6'2", 200-pound safety ran that 4-4 type of 40, and then I take you go back to the tape, and you see, A, I think that you can make the argument that Seen is pound for pound the best tackler in this draft class, especially out in the open field, and then you look at the versatility and coverage. He can play a deep half. He can play quarters. He can play in the middle of the field. He can roll down into the box. He can handle tight ends and running backs in man coverage. He's not bad against slot receivers in man coverage when need be. So I think that, you know, again, when we start talking about the modern NFL game and how spread out it is, and how much strain that puts on safeties deep down the field. You need a guy who is, A, athletic enough to handle some of the high-level slot receivers that we see and outside receivers in the NFL. And then, B, you need a guy versatile enough to be able to handle the fact that more and more teams are getting into these 11 personnel looks where they can stay in it all game, run their entire offense out of it, no problem. And you've got to be able to go do anything from fitting the run to playing a post 45 yards down the field. He's one of those guys who can do it and, and, and a guy that I'm really excited about seeing in the NFL. Uh, sorry, I, I am back now. Uh, who, who was that guy you were just talking about? Lewisine. 
Oh, okay, got you. Have you have you talked about uh, Trent McDuffie yet? Yeah. We, oh, I did we know? I guess we didn't hit Trent McDuffie. Not not particular. I'm thinking about. I was so, talking talking in a, a prior podcast about him. He was talking about Daryl Stingley. We prefer Daryl yeah. Stingley over Trent McDuffie. Derek, yeah. Cool. Uh, so with Trent McDuffie, he was a guy for a, a while here in Minnesota Viking mock draft world that. He was like the the foregone conclusion for us at 12. And then as the weeks have kind of progressed, actually really since Derek Stingley's pro day, right, when he proved that he was healthy and still a top 10 guy. um, Oh, the sound crapped out here. Um, Trent McDuffie's kind of disappeared off the Vikings radar, I would say. Uh, Do you still do you think he's a good corner? Do you think the Vikings should still be looking at him or should he be falling down the draft boards like he is so far? I would say, so in my first round mock, I still gave the Vikings Trent McDuffie because Gardner and um, because Gardner and Stingley were off the board on my own. Um, they both went top 10, but I am certainly not in love with him to the same degree that I was entering 2021. And I'm probably less in love with him now over the span of January to April. And a lot of it just kind of is like the certain baselines that you just have to check to be a high level corner physically to be sub six foot sub 30 inch arms, you know, you've got to be like a top 0.01% level performer as a corner today with how big and athletic some of these wide receivers are. It's not to say that he could never do the job, but if you're telling me that he's, he's probably going to be too short and too small on the whole to play on the outside, play in and play out. If he's going to be inside and we think about the type of teams, particularly with the Vikings, right? Particularly in this division, where you're going to be seeing your green bays, we're going to have to see Chicago and Detroit. These are all teams that are either good in the trenches or do different things scheme-wise that are going to force your defensive backs to have to tackle. And, you know, with McDuffie, that becomes a major concern for me. Is he going to show up and run support? Is he going to be a dependable enough tackler? Is he going to be durable enough at that size to be able to deal with those types of physical challenges? Um, it's not to say that he can't be a decent player. I just don't see a high enough ceiling to justify him being a top 15 pick at this point. Well, and, and to, to go into McDuffie, just I mean, not even really going into him more, but you know, you, you have McDuffie playing in Washington. Again, they, they've been putting DBU, uh, you know, DBU, right? Like, they've been putting right. on some high-quality talent. You have his teammate, Kyler Gordon. Now, he does meet those thresholds. I think he is almost every bit as good as Trent McDuffie with, with you know, that does meet the measurables, right? So, I, I'm right. looking at Kyler Gordon. I also look at a guy, and again, who isn't meeting those measurables you're talking about, right? So, Roger right. McCreary, who went up against the top talent in the SEC and dominated at the cornerback position all year and has done really well over the last couple of years. But now you're talking even shorter arms than McDuffie. Yeah. You're talking about the same height. So, like, where I'm having a hard time is how much do you trust the tape over measurables? Because the tape shows that he's locking down, like McCreary specifically, that he's locking down the, the same high-end talent that's going to be in the NFL this year from the SEC, and he's doing a good job doing it. Why would that change necessarily just because he's going pro? I don't think it will. And if you're going to, and if you're asking me in comparison one to the other, I think that McCreary is somebody I'd be much more interested in as a cover corner than I would with McDuffie. And a lot of it comes back to what you're saying, right? The level of wide receiver that he has to see on a week in, week out basis, where they're talking about Arkansas and Traylon Burks or Alabama and Jamison Williams and, and John Mechie, Georgia with, uh, 
DJ Mitchell and, you know, some of the wide receivers that will be pros eventually um, coming out of there, you know, as well as the rest of the SEC schedule period, you know, you're talking about a high level of competition and he delivered, you know, week in and week out. Um, I will say that his ceiling as a cover corner will lead me to believe that in spite of the fact that he's a short armed guy and lower than six feet in height, that he can live outside. I think that, you know, in the mold of a Darius Williams, he can probably play in that type of role, right? Where maybe you kind of shift him around based on where you need him, you know, as a kind of ideal secondary corner type. So I would much rather wait for him, wait for a Kyler Gordon, who is another guy that I think is really, really versatile, that can do a lot of different things for you schematically. You know, those are probably the guys I'd be much more interested in as another corner than going for a guy like McDuffie, where I, I just don't know exactly how he'll carve out a, a legitimate role at the next level. Good to know. Good to know. All right. Uh, one last question, and then we'll get back into these prospects. Again, you know, we kind of sent you a list of different prospects. We've talked about a couple of them, so we don't need to rehash all of that. But one question is you had mentioned that you mocked McDuffie to us just because of the fact that Stingley and Sauce were gone, right? Mm-hmm. What would your thoughts be? I know it's becoming a little bit of a trend on Vikings Twitter recently of the Vikings going ahead and, and moving for a wide receiver in preparation. One, the fact that Thielen's getting older. Two, the value of a wide receiver in some of these contracts that they're getting right now are almost up to where these uh, quarterbacks are. So that fifth year and the extended life on the rookie contract would be that much more valuable. What are your thoughts on the Vikings potentially pursuing that route with Ted Glover's you know, favorite Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave or uh, Jamison Williams or, or whoever, whoever you know, fits the mold there? I can see it particularly with where they're selecting, right? Like chances are, unless there's like a major slide, you know, a major unanticipated slide, you probably are going to be out on the best offensive tackles, the best edge rushers, and the two best corners, right? And this is not a franchise that's in need of a quarterback at this particular moment that needs to start right now. At least, you know, yet there's some time for for future considerations as far as that goes. So I do think that you're in a position to say, we don't have to address a depth need right now. This can be a BPA type of pick. And I think that a guy like, you know, a Garrett Wilson or a Chris Olave could certainly fit, especially with all the different things that this offense sets out to do on a week by week basis. And it would, it would free up even more space for an Adam Thielen to do more as he can, as he ages, you know, you can kind of create a bridge for what the next era of the offense looks like. In fact, you know, a guy like Jamison Williams, where, you know, even though it seems like he's on schedule in terms of his recovery, that would be a great surplus pick because it's not like he's going to have to be cleared by week one in order for the Vikings to feel good about making a pick like that. Right. Because you already have two very high level, high performing wide receivers on the roster. So I, I could certainly see that. I wouldn't hate that. The same way I wouldn't hate if Minnesota looks around and says, hey, maybe we can sell this pick to Detroit, Kansas City, Green Bay, one of these teams that has surplus draft value between 20 and 40. You can pick up some extra draft capital and kind of stock up the coffers, you know, some depth on your roster that way. I wouldn't hate either of those approaches. So I, I definitely think that a lot of doors can be opened on Minnesota's behalf when it comes to next Thursday. 
Yeah, I, I love that opportunity to potentially trade back with one of those teams, gain draft capital in the in that you know still get that keep that first round pick, move back and, and get additional pick in the second or third or both, uh, depending on how far we move back. And, and and because like I said, or I think like you said, the sweet spot of this draft is really. I mean, obviously you have the top end talent, but it's really in that twenty twenty five to I don't know. 50, right? There's a right. lot of quality talent that we we need. I mean, we have a lot of top-end talent on this team, but we are greatly depleted in depth. And, uh, you know, I think I saw one of our uh, commenters, and again, thank you everyone who's uh, listening in live with us and, and joining Deontay, Matt, and I uh, live. You know, we really appreciate you commenting and keep those comments coming in. Uh, one of them had mentioned all the different needs that he believes that we have in, you know, wide receiver, cornerback, safe, you know, depth at safety, depth in the offensive line, even though I think we've kind of done some of that in the in yeah. the in the free agency period, but still we're struggling there. Tight end is something that a lot of people are not thinking about because we have Irv Smith coming back, but we lost Conklin and we don't have depth there. So, you know, there's definitely a lot of value for us to be able to pick up in this draft and it's all prime talent right in that 25 to 50 range so um just speaking of prime town obviously we brought you on today you know you can talk about anything we really don't care but uh defensive talent is what we really were you know talking about today and so what i kind of did was i sent matt or matt and i kind of uh, compiled this list of um you basically can, you can be you can say the truth that you compiled it i, I just signed off on it yeah I was saying, it was his idea and i just kind of put something together um uh, of basically each defensive position in the draft or uh, you know defensive position defensive Ooh. tackle edge linebacker corner safety right those five and then talk about one player at each day of the draft that you would be excited or think that would potentially be a good fit for the for the vikings so i again put it together a list of course listeners i have about three oklahoma guys on this list obviously <laughs> And Deontay said he didn't he didn't want to talk about one of them, which I get. It's fine. You know, you know, if you don't know about Brian Asamoa, but you got it. You got to check it out. True three down linebacker. I'm a big fan, but I want to get your take. Um, So hopefully we can catch up on that sometime. But why don't we start at Why don't we start at D tackle? You already talked about Devante or Deontay Wyatt, which for, you know, dollar for dollar for me. I think he's the best defensive tackle in this draft. I think he's better than Jordan Davis. I know Jordan Davis got some measurables. I know he's a big boy that can do a lot of damage. I think Wyatt is a better overall player on the field. I think he can do more from a pass rushing sense um, than, than Davis can. I know Davis is a wall. So, you know, I know you had mentioned Davis is probably your top defensive tackle talent. I think Wyatt's above him, but again, it's we're we're splitting hairs here. Um, the the second guy that I put on there, which you know we'll we'll get to now, is Perrion Winfrey. Have you done much homework on him? What are your thoughts on him? So with Winfrey, I think that if you're looking for a defensive interior guy that can really add something to, that can really add something to your team in terms of like pass rush potential, I can certainly see it with a guy like Winfrey. I, I think he plays with really good hands. You know, I think he uses his size really well. Um, and beyond that, he's actually a, a much high higher energy, you know, great with pursuit, you know, kind of high motor guy than I had even given him credit for on my first watch. So I definitely think that he can add a lot to a lot to your defense, especially in terms of depth. You know, when you start talking about those day two to early day three types of picks. So that's certainly a guy I think that can kind of develop into being a reliable starter level player towards the end of his rookie deal and going on, you know, to the second contract. 
Yeah, you know, when I when I watch him on tape, and again, I, I'm I'm looking at this from a lens of uh, of bias, obviously, right? Um, but I, I do, there are deficiencies, and I'm trying to figure out are those deficiencies due to the former defensive staff at Oklahoma, who, for all intents and purposes, all they really cared about was pass rush, and they didn't really right. care about their run much, um, or right. and it, or. Is it a gap in skill or um, tendencies that he's developed that he maybe can't overcome? Because that is a concern. His his uh, defensive um, uh, defensive rushing um, prowess is not very good. Like uh, maybe it's to get a full head of steam, he just wants to rush a passer or whatever. Um, do you think that those are traits that you can coach out of a guy early on in his career? Um, I, I usually tend towards saying yes. Because especially at this position, if you don't get it together in terms of spitting the run as a defensive interior guy, you're just not going to play, right? Like, it's the same thing that, that we're starting to see with wide receivers and blocking. It's becoming harder and harder to be a wide receiver that's not a, a, a willing blocker, you know, at the NFL level. You've got to be a, a very particular or special kind of athlete or producer to not be asked to add something in the run game in terms of blocking. And the same thing is going to be asked of him as a defensive interior guy. So I do think, you know, when you talk about maybe being a little underdeveloped in that way, I think that certainly is something that you can say. You know, I definitely think that they probably leaned a little bit harder into developing his moves, especially with his hands as a pass rusher, and a little bit less so of playing, you know, slower, playing to react to the blocks that you're getting and being a more sound type of run run fitter. So that's certainly something that I've kind of had half an eye on. Um, I, like I said, I'm optimistic enough to think that he can sort it out. And based on his size, I would like to believe that he can get it together because he's got pretty long arms, you know, 6'3", 6'4", guy, you know, he's got the weight. I do think that he can get that together if he's coached properly. Even if he's only getting to a league average level, I think that'll be fine enough because he definitely has a high ceiling as a pass rusher on the interior. So sticking with a the theme here, I know he just mentioned Perry on Winfrey, a day three guy, potentially uh, Haskell Garrett. Can you tell us anything about him? Do you know anything about him? Um, and, and would he be a fit for the Vikings? So I would say, I mean, again, if we're just talking about just adding kind of raw depth, I, I think that he might be a guy, especially if we're looking at it in terms of like scheme, right? So if we're thinking about Ed Donatel's defense, kind of moving to more of a 3-4, you know, split safety type of deal, I could certainly see you bringing him in and him maybe becoming a guy that can play the nose for you. I don't know if you're going to get much value out of him beyond that kind of just being like a, a block eater type, a center eater type, you know, and I think that he does that relatively well. Um, he's just not, you know, you're just not going to see anything that pops or anything that shines on his tape in terms of, you know, raw traits or certain refinement technique wise. Um, so I, I would be a little hesitant in terms of expecting him to maybe top out as anything other than what he is especially for a guy who's stepping in is basically going to be 24 years old, but you know, at the draft, you know, there's not going to be a ton of ceiling for him, but if you're just trying to bring in a late round guy, that'll be cheap, you know, add some depth can play maybe, you know, different spots on the defensive interior. He can certainly do that and just kind of be like a, a stopgap. You know, if somebody gets hurt or you need, you need him to fill in in a spot where you're maybe lighter in depth than you had, uh, than you had initially kind of assumed you would be. Sure, absolutely. Is there a a defensive tackle, or you know, again, three three four defensive end, uh, de you know, defensive tackle that uh, on day three that you want to promote that you watch the film and you're like, wow, that guy 
would be exciting for any team that looking for that again, three, four D and um, four, three D or like three tech. Um, no, to be honest with you, nobody that really kind of, that blows me away. If I'm, if I'm being completely honest with you, um, a lot of those guys, you know, and this is something that we're starting to see more and more like the day three guy, the, the idea of the day three guys that turn into plus starters is becoming harder and harder because the athletic baselines continue to raise higher and higher for what you have to do to be a starter level player in the NFL. So outside of like a Garrett, who I just know because I've watched him enough and he's versatile enough to play some different spots on the interior, there's really nobody else that are kind of like on first glance strikes, strikes me as a guy who can step in and give kind of immediate contributions. Um, before we, we switch to some other positions on the defensive side here, I'd be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to our sponsor, Lake Monster Brewing, which Ryan and I are at right now. So if you're looking for a great beer and a great time and you live in the Twin Cities, head on over to Lake Monster Brewing in St. Paul, Minnesota, because they make unique versions of classic beer styles by putting their own subtle twists on the flavors of craft beer that drinkers have come to love. Ranging from esoteric and approachable, subtle to over the top, their beers adhere to the philosophy that there is always more to be discovered. Brian, should we switch to edge or linebacker? Because I feel honestly as a Viking fan that linebacker is probably not being talked about enough considering that, uh, you know, we really only have Eric Kendricks. I know they signed Hicks away from the, the Arizona Cardinals this off season, but we're without Anthony Barr. Um, it, I mean, it's a new defense. Kendricks is getting older. Should we start to look at uh, linebacker? Yeah, yeah. Let's go. Let's go linebacker. You know, specifically, you know, more ends on linebacker, right? Obviously, when we look at edge here going forward, we're now potentially talking about that outside linebacker, three, four outside linebacker now. So we're still going into linebacker regardless. But let's start with the inside backers here. You know, I think we had sent you uh, a couple names. Um, I, I don't think we're going to go day one uh, inside linebacker. However, um, you know, it, it, let's say, you know, we trade back and there's just a great value there. Uh, Nicobe Dean and Devin Lloyd are the two kind of projected first round linebackers in this draft. Either of them that you are, you know, you have a preference or you think that would fit this more three, four um, style of, of defense that we're going to be playing going forward? I would say, particularly with the Vikings, um, I would probably be a little bit more interested with Devin Lloyd. Um, because I just think that he would add, you know, that same type of size plus versatility uh, playing alongside, you know, Eric Kendricks. So that's something that I'd be really interested in. Um, Nicobe Dean is a player that I like. Don't get me wrong. He is a player that I like, a player that I think will be good. Um, but I kind of have to see it. He's one of those guys that I have to see it. I'm a believer in his traits. I'm a believer in his tape. You know, I think that he would have put up some really impressive combine and pro day numbers had his pec and his and his legs been in position where he was 100 percent healthy and clear to go. Um, you know, I, I don't think that he kind of dodged out on those tests just because, you know, he was concerned about what his numbers would have been. I really think that he didn't get the time to train that he was hoping for. Um, but with Devin Lloyd, he's just got the wrong type of size. And I think enough ability that you can talk yourself into him being that ball of clay type that you need as an inside linebacker in a 3-4 defense. So that's probably the guy I would lean with if you're talking like late day one to early day two. You, you brought up Nicobe Dean, and I know that we sent it over in the chat. Um, I've been listening every morning to, well, when it becomes available, Todd McShay and Mel Kuyper. And, and it, just because 
growing up, you know, they were kind of the standard for NFL draft. And Todd McShay yeah. is in love with Nicobe Dean. In fact, I think he's I think he's been on record saying he would he would take a top fifteen pick for him. Um, what I know I know you kind of listed some reasons there, but do you think that he like falls out of the first round potentially into like that top half of the second? With I, I just feel like he's kind of free falling a little bit, and I know linebacker is not a, a real premium position, and that may also play a factor as well. But is he a potential guy that could slip from the first round and maybe the Vikings nab him in the top half? I think it's a possibility because a, a lot of it is almost tied to the rest of the linebacker quote unquote market in this draft. The more that I think the Jets have cooled on Devin Lloyd, however far back he slides. I'm kind of confident in saying that Nicobe Dean is taking the same or similar, you know, kind of one for one type of slide too. Um, I just don't think that the teams that are at the top of the draft are particularly interested in bringing in a linebacker and using that five year, that potential five year contract on a guy at that position, given how much you can get out of linebacker play for cheap in today's NFL. So I would say, you know, I, I do expect Nicobe to be available somewhere between, you know, 25 and 35, if not 35 and 45. You know, again, it's all going to be, I think that Devin Lloyd is kind of the lever that we're looking to see pulled. If we see Devin Lloyd fall to that 25, 35 area, then I would say, yeah, Nicobe Dean probably would be about, you know, eight to 10 picks behind that um, based on the way that the league seems to be valuing Lloyd. And Matt, I saw you fist pump there because you. I think you like that opportunity. Yeah. Uh, yes. Just so you know, we are pick forty six, and hey. he said forty five is his limit. So I don't think it's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, Deontay! Uh, is uh, is Nicobe Dean getting like the Miles Jack treatment a little bit? Because Miles Jack was supposed to be one of these these top linebackers that really slid. Uh, how long ago was that? Five years. Yeah, well, yeah. he had that injury. That that was. I, I, say, I know he was coming in on an ACL, I believe. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He had that injury, uh, and, and of course, we talked earlier a little bit earlier about some of the other different um, linebackers: Chad Muma, uh, Troy Anderson. I had mentioned Brian Asamoa. Listeners, if you haven't had an opportunity, uh, you know Brian. Brian's going to be, I think, a true three-down linebacker, but um, a little undersized. He's going to be more that fit of the kind of the new age linebacker that we're seeing with the Devin and whites or whatever i'm not saying he's gonna be as good as Devin white but a true three down linebacker who can actually play in the coverage very well uh but a little light so uh we'll, we'll right. kind of see where that takes us Let, let's uh unless you have somebody else to well, mention well i was gonna two things one did you at least give deontay a heads up of, of why you're such an oklahoma sooner like fanatic and like why you're obsessed with these players all the time i mean i did tell him i'm a big oklahoma sooner okay. fan, i wasn't sure it, yeah. I, I wasn't sure so yeah. <laughs> He, he he won't let up on it. I'm sure I'm sure we're not done talking about it. Um I saw Quay Walker brought up in the chat here by Brian Ports. Anything uh you have to say about him? I don't have I don't have the greatest feel for him as a player, to be honest with you. Fair enough. I need no more. I kind of see him as like a Devin Lloyd light, honestly. I mean, I, I they, they play very similarly in my opinion. I just don't think he's gonna have that high end potential that Lloyd does bring, but I, I do like, I, I think he, if somebody said, Hey, I want to take him in the second round. I'm not a bad an eye at it, honestly. So um, w- let's move to edge or, you know, three, four outside linebacker, whatever you want to call it. Um, so, you know, obviously I saw another person mentioned in the comments here because Jermaine Johnson, the second is from Eden Prairie, Minnesota. There's going to be a lot of fans who are very enticed 
of course, you know, anytime we have any uh, Minnesota product, we want to bring them home. So, of course, we had. Uh, yeah, I think Peter Schrager started this a little bit too the other day in his mock draft. Yeah, he has us mock. Or he, ha- he has him mocked us. Um, again, Eden Prairie, you know, we are obsessed with Trey Lance as well. Wasn't going to actually happen, obviously, going three, but, um, you know, we love any Oklahoma or Oklahoma, Minnesota grown talent. Uh, I just have it on my I mind. I told it's you bad. he's going to bring him back up. It's bad. I didn't mean it. All right. So, Jermaine Johnson, second. Uh, obviously, an older prospect, fifth year senior. Tell us about him. What does he bring to the table that, you know, maybe some of the other, um, you know, edge prospects that are going to be taken in a similar fashion. um, What does he do better and why would he be a better fit for the Vikings? I would say, well, number one, if we're looking at his best abilities, his best traits, I do think that right behind Trevon Walker, he's probably the best run defender that we have in of this edge class. Um, you can certainly see it all throughout his career, the, 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 from the time that he transferred to Florida State from Georgia, right? And it's no shock that a guy from Georgia will go someplace else and be an elite run defender. It seems like that's all they churn out, right? Um, but another thing I will say is, while I do think that his ceiling as a pass rusher is kind of set where he's at, he is certainly refined in that regard. I think that he has a great, he has a plan. I think he knows his best moves. He has his counters together. And I think that again, if we're talking about bringing a guy in who can top out as like an, not elite, but a high level secondary rusher that is also a great run defender, I think that would be great in this type of defense. You know, I think that. For them, you know, if you have somebody opposite Hunter, you know, that I think that that adds a lot to what to what you need in that base three, four type of package. So I can see why there would be some intrigue with him. Um, I'm kind of up in the air between he and Carl Aftis, um, in terms of, you know, those edge rushers in that second tier and where exactly I want to slot them at. You know, if you can kind of find a way, you know, 12, I guess, I guess 12 is probably about that kind of debate line, which is why I'm so up in the air between, you know, Johnson and Carl Aftis and, and where they get drafted in the first round. Um, I, I'd be fascinated to see how the rest of the league feels about Johnson, um, because I do think that he has talked about as like a high floor, low ceiling type of player. And you usually don't see those guys go in the top half of the first round. But I can see a particular to what is being changed schematically in this defense, why he may be a draw for Ed Donatella and this defensive staff. I always, I was talking with my buddy today who's a Packer fan, and um, I, I just feel like when I look at George Karloftis, I just feel like he's a Green Bay Packer. Like, he just he just looks like it, right? Like, I could see him in, in, in mid-January in a playoff game just in Lambeau, like, just dominating. I, I, I I'm calling it here. It's it's 4-20-2022 at 8-48. Karloftis to the Packers, and he's a stud. But uh, another guy on the list that I know that we sent over to you is uh, is an Oklahoma guy. Uh, it's, it's, it's Nick, I don't know how to say his last name, Bonito? Bonito. Mm-hmm. Uh, thoughts on Nick Bonito? Um, I, I, the mock drafts would have him upper second round. Um, but what are your thoughts on him, and where do you think he inevitably goes in the NFL draft? So Benito Benito's a, a really kind of fascinating guy, you know, in today's NFL, because I think that we've kind of dropped a little bit of the premium that was there before on like the designated pass rush type. Um, 
And I think that that's what Benito's kind of stepping into the NFL as. Great athletically, 4-5 runner, had an explosive 10-yard split. Um, I think that some of his jumps were were in the high percentile as well. If anybody uses like mock draftable and looks at those spider charts. So he certainly has the athleticism and the explosiveness on traits alone to kind of make you interested. And you can see a little bit of like his pass rush savvy kind of flashing on tape as well. I just have major concerns with both him and Boye Mafe uh, from Minnesota in terms of being able to stand up on first and second down against the run. It's just not their strong suit, um, and it makes it really difficult early in your career to get to break into a, a reliable role on a down by down basis. Yeah, I'm just saying, PFF loves his run uh, uh, rush defense. I'm just saying. Hey, I don't work there anymore, so I can't speak to that. <laughs> um, just just because we are you know vikings happy hour based in minnesota here you mentioned boye mafe who I, I think i've seen him his, his he's kind of climbed up uh draft boards a little bit and then recently i feel like he's kind of taken a back seat i think he's kind of fallen fringe first round but probably most likely a second round draft pick um you mentioned his inability to stand up there on, on, on first down. But uh, what are some other things you think about Boye Mafe and in, in why he's kind of just had this roller coaster of a draft stock uh, this offseason? I think a lot of it kind of comes back to what I was saying um, with Benito. And it's just like, how, how do you contextualize these designated pass rush guys? Um, he plays light. You know, and it's great in terms of like – his ability to get off the ball. I think that he's got one of the best first steps in this edge class for certain. And it is intriguing. I think that my biggest, my biggest concern with him is just like it at any point, if you're running the football at him, knowing what we know about NFL tackles, NFL tight ends and NFL offensive coordinators and how good they are and being able to pick out the types of players that they need to run the ball at. That's my biggest concern. And then if you're looking at them from like a, a strictly a numbers production standpoint, you're not getting the TFL and sack production that you'd like for a guy um, that's stepping in as a designated pass rush type either. You would have liked to have seen multiple, you know, 10, 10 plus sack seasons, you know, and, and I understand that the COVID season, I think kind of cuts off a lot of these guys in terms of their production, you know, using that as kind of a landmark for their development. So I do want to be sympathetic to them. In, in some ways, but again, if I'm just looking at the traits plus the production and what you put on tape, the first step is great and very intriguing, but I don't think it's enough to make up the ground that he leaves in terms of showing up as a run defender. And in today's outside zone landscape in the NFL, if you can't set the edge, you're going to have a really hard time staying on the field, you know, as a defensive end. And that's key to a 3-4 type defense. Absolutely. Yeah, the defense doesn't work if you can't set the edge. Sticking on the theme of edges, um, is there somebody who you are willing to stand on the table for? Maybe not like a, a first round guy, but like day two, day three kind of guy that you are you'd, you'd be willing to stand on the table and say yes, go for that guy. I'm, and I'm, if you already mentioned this, I'm sorry if I missed it with the the sound stuff earlier. This is at any position. I was I was going to stick specifically to edge here. If I'm sticking to edge, if it's a day two guy, it's Drake Jackson from USC. Um, another player that I think has been is kind of massively underdeveloped. I think that, you know, he's probably one of them, at least in the edge class, I would say he might be the most 
um, improperly used player coming out of college, uh, going into the NFL. Uh, you know, I, you know, you turn on USC tape and he's dropping into coverage on like, you know, a third to half the snaps in some of these games. You have snap, you have games where like he's playing in a four eye. So he's like inside the tackle, like he's some 285 to 300 pound defensive tackle. Um, and then, you know, you finally get the 10 to 15 snaps a game where he gets to be a pure edge rusher and you see all of the potential in the world there. I think he plays with good bend. I think that he's got enough length. I think he's got enough height. He's got a great first step. I think he has a plan and he knows how to work angles. And I think that, you know, while that 270 pound weigh in at the combine, we should probably dismiss out of hand because at no point at USC did he ever weigh in at that or play his full season at that weight. I think that was more of him trying to check off a box for the purposes of how he was being scouted. Um, I think that even at the mid 250s, maybe low 260s, you can get a high, high level of pass rush returns for a guy like that and a player who spent a lot of his time playing in a 3-4 defense and will be really familiar with what it means to set the edge, even though he can kind of grow as a run defender as well. You know, I, I want to come in here and be just be like, all right, Homer bias over here, uh-huh. USC, prom, you know, but honestly, he, I, I'm a big fan of Drake Jackson as well. I think he, to your point, underdeveloped uh, at with that coaching staff there. And, uh, you know, I think those edges are probably going to continue to be underdeveloped at USC. So we'll see how that ends up going. But um, let, let's move to corner. That's probably our biggest need, I think, moving forward. We talked uh, Stingley. Uh, we talked McDuffie, we talked Kyler Gordon a little bit, we talked uh, McCreary quite a bit. So let, let's only go into like two guys here. The first one, I want to go with the first round pick. Uh, let's say we trade back, or maybe even we take him at 12. Andrew Booth Jr., once projected a top 10 pick. Now, you know, maybe somewhere from, yeah, 10 to 25 is kind of his range. What are your thoughts on him and his ceiling with uh, with the Vikings here at the NFL level? And I'll just say that Ryan before the show said that he would take Andrew Booth at twelve for the Vikings. I'm not even a trade back. Scenario. Big fan. At twelve. Big fan. Uh, to me, at least, I guess that's a, that would be ambitious for me. Not necessarily because he's not good, but just because of what else I think would be available at twelve. Um, but for me, I think that he's pretty squarely the third best corner in this class in my opinion. And if you're not going to have access to Saucer Stingley, then that's probably the guy that you would walk away with feeling the happiest about. I think he's he's one of the few corners that you can put inside and out and get positive returns on. I think you can play him in press or off and get positive returns on. He's a pretty good tackler. I think he's got decent ball skills. He checks all the boxes. The only thing with him is that you just haven't gotten that elite breakout surefire cornerback one potential on tape consistently enough but I don't think that's the worst thing in the world I think that he's one of those players that's going to end up having an eight to 12 year career as a high level you know cornerback because he can do so many things every team in the NFL can have it can add an Andrew Booth Jr. to their defensive backfield and make it better because of his versatility and his ability to do different things for you schematically and our boy J.R. Reed, or J.R. Reed, uh, Jordan Reed, uh, I always call him J.R. Reed, I don't know why. Jordan Reed, he uh, comped him to Marlon Humphrey, which... I could see that. Yeah, give me Marlon Humphrey all day long. I mean, Absolutely. that dude... So I, I, would, I would love that. Um, let, let's, let's switch gears to his teammate. So Mario Goodrich, 
I've seen him mocked anywhere from round three to round, I don't know, four or five. Um, and, and, you know, what I see on tape is a really good player, but I, again, there, there's others around the league or, you know, who are doing the scouting that aren't as in love with him as I am. So give me a little bit of scouting report on Mario Goodrich and any other corners that you think would be a good fit in that day two, day three range. I would say number one for me with corner, I think that I'm just going to continue to trend this way with these cornerstone positions. Like I need to see multiple years of returns before I can really feel comfortable projecting out what the future looks like. And he's been, and he's such a late bloomer, you know, basically being like a one year dependable starter. I don't know if I saw enough to intrigue me in a way that would make him more than like an, like day one special team type of player. Um, you know, I mean, day one, but like when he steps in the building, not day one in terms of the draft, but a special teamer that maybe you can add just some depth with. I don't know what the return to the ceiling looks like for a player like him. It's not like you're getting an extreme level of technician, you know, as a coverage player. Um, I do think that he's got some decent traits. You know, he, he's just fast enough, clearly crosses that six-foot threshold. He crosses that 30-inch arm threshold. So if you're just talking about meeting the physical baselines in order to do what you need to do at the NFL level, he certainly meets that. I just don't think that we've seen enough from him, you know, snap in, snap out, season in, season out, to make me feel comfortable with him as a player, uh, even though he was an all-ACC uh, performer this past year. I see uh, Zion McCollum is is being put in the chat here. Any thoughts on him? None, none that's really strong enough to really kind of put my put my name behind. Okay, okay. Tariq Woolen. Tariq Woolen is a guy I'm really interested in, just because of the physical. It's just the physical stature and the speed. It's hard to look away from stuff like that, right? You come up six three, six four, and you run a four two eight, four two nine, forty, whatever it ended up being. Um, that is always going to catch my eye. He's just extremely raw. You know, he is one of those day three corners that you can bring in and say, hey, if everything goes right and he gets the right tutelage, that that could be a guy who ends up becoming a starter pretty early in his career. He's also a player that, hey, if he's someplace where you've got to drop him in and ask him to be one of your two starting corners, that he could go out there and drown on Sundays. I don't know if he has the right mental acuity yet as a cover corner to really handle all the different things you're going to see from the high level NFL offenses. Uh, so that's something that I think is still a question for him to answer. And, but I do think he's got enough in terms of ball skills and he's obviously checks all the boxes in terms of athletic ability and his size to be worth taking a flyer on. If you get a chance to get your hands on him in round five, you know, round late four, or early five type of situation. Um, I want to be sensitive to the time. It's it's nine o'clock here. We have one more position group to go through. Are you are you still good to go? Um, yeah, we can kind of bust through safeties. All right, sweet. So it's a two part question because I do want to finish off on corner. Are there any corners that similar to my edge question that you would stand on the table for and be like, go get that guy on day two on day three at corner catching uh, you on the spot. Really just Woolen. I, I really think it's just Woolen. That might be the one guy that I'm willing that I'm willing to bang the table for. And, you know, again, when we start talking about those late round types of players that you think can turn into something, you gotta be talking about high, high level athletes who just have who have been too raw throughout their college career to merit them being up in that day one, day two conversation. So Woolen's the guy really that I will kind of put everything behind and 
besides that, the rest of the guys I think are just more kind of depth pieces. And if they turn into something, they turn into something. I'm just not expecting it. Fair enough. Well, let's let's quick sh- shift. Sorry, shift to safeties here. Um, Kyle Hamilton is obviously the big name at safety. Uh, many thought he'd go top ten. He still potentially could. Um, but Viking fans are probably getting a little excited about the potential that he could drop to them, um, or at least within range of a trade up, maybe ten ish. Um, what are your thoughts on Kyle Hamilton? and why he might be falling, and then uh, we'll follow up with a day two, day three guy and, and wrap this show up. Um, so I think I truly only believe he's fallen because he ran in the low four fives, high or excuse me, high four fives, low four sixes in the 40. I really think it's as simple as that. Um, I actually think that because of that, they're treating him more like, hey, how would you just, how would you feel about an elite level safety and less about just him as a defensive playmaker overall. So I think that his draft stock is probably a little bit more proper in the complete context of what position he plays, plus the type of traits and, and production that he has. So in that kind of 10 to 15-ish range, I think is is probably rightful for him. Um, but I still believe, you know, I believe that the end of the season, that if you're talking about just completely positionless-wise, evaluating these guys, he's the best defensive playmaker in this draft. And this tape still shows that. I, I'm not I haven't been given a reason to budge off of that. I just think that maybe he's not maybe he's not Derwin James because he's not a four four runner. But that doesn't mean that he can't be an all pro level talent. And that's exactly what I think, you know, he has the potential to reach. Um, you know, particularly with the Vikings, it's not necessarily that they have a need at the position, right? They have they had a rookie safety last year whose name is escaping me right now that I know they're uh, Cameron Bynum, if I remember right, who is tracking to be a starter this upcoming year that I think can be a really good player. You know, as a matter of fact, the more snaps he gets and flashed a little bit of that at different points last season. Um, so I, I'm very happy about him. You obviously still have Harrison Smith, who, you know, will probably end up being in conversations for being a Hall of Famer by the time his career is over, you know, based on his longevity and high levels of production, too. So for Hamilton, I can see you making that pick. If the expectation is, hey, we think that Harrison might be a little bit closer to hanging this thing up that maybe has been indicated prior, and we just want to have something in in our back pocket in the event that he gets to the end of 2021 or, or excuse me, 2022 or 2023 and says, yeah, I think I'm finished, you know, and you're losing your defensive leader. I can certainly see that. Um, but I would say that 10 to 15 is his proper draft range. I just think that if there's another corner that you can get your hands on, I, I would probably lean in that direction and maybe try to address depth that safety at day two or day three. I got a quick question. He's dropping because of his 40 speed. More and mm-hmm. more NFL teams are getting in-game speed data right? from right. the GPS stuff, all the electronics right. they're hooking up and stuff like that. I believe if I'm an NFL team, I'm going more with that data versus can a guy bust out of a sprinter blocks, right, right. and run a 40. And I do, we obviously don't know what his in-game speed is, but we obviously do know the production he made mm-hmm. at, at Notre Dame and stuff like that would mean more to me than just, you know, running a straight line 40. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, again, when you look at the tape, his change of direction ability, top tier, his ability to get to the ball, pursuit of the football and finish plays, top tier as well. He has great ball skills. He has checks. He checked every box short of running a 4-4-40. That's truly it, which is the only reason why I think that he's not being mocked to, you know, within the top eight picks the way that he was when the offseason first began. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let, let's transition to day two. Uh, we have a he's a safety that is kind of being considered maybe a slot corner uh, mm-hmm. safety. I mean, Jalen Petre. I think Petre. I think that's how you say it out of Baylor. I watched him dominate uh, against Oklahoma, so uh, I, I know how good this dude is on the field. Um, can you walk us through what he brings to a team, uh, the mentality he brings, uh, all of that that you see on tape? Um, and, and do you think, again, do you think he'd be a good fit for this offense uh, next to a Harrison Smith? I love the player. I absolutely love the player. He's one of the guys that, you know, again, that I've been talking about banging the table for. He's another one of those types of guys, and he's a do-it-all type. Again, with this common theme with me and defensive guys that are not corners and edge rushers having to be versatile, he fits that mold 100%. And he's spoken to it, you know, playing for Phil Snow at Baylor, and he was more of kind of like your traditional Sam linebacker, right? And they're kind of 4-3 quarters, you know, quarters type of system. And you bring in Dave Aranda and Ron Roberts, and he can transition to playing as a nickel corner. That says a lot about you as a player, you know, and then he checks all the physical, you know, physical boxes. He is a perfect tweener size, right? Like right below six foot or right at the six foot ish area. He's got about 30 inch arms. So you're not getting the tallest, the longest, the heaviest guy, not the fastest guy, but somebody who has a high mental acuity in terms of playing in zone coverage. He shows up and run support. He'll make tackles. He knows how to cover, how to play to his help, his strengths and weaknesses. When you talk about playing like these big nickel packages or these nickel packages we're seeing in the NFL where teams want to have five DBs on the field against every personnel package that's not like 21, right, where you got a fullback or running back on the field. He is the exact type of player that that you would look at and say, hey, if we get him, we can play nickel to everything in the world because he can stand up against tight ends, slot receivers, outside runs, inside runs, play action pass, drop back pass. He can do it all. And, you know, an ideal type of player when you talk about round three, round four value. And and he's a dog. That's the thing. He's like, I love, like, one of the biggest things that I'll always advocate for is if you can show me, especially as a defensive back, uh, whether you're a safety or a linebacker or a safety or a cornerback, if you're a dog, like if you got that like dog mentality, you automatically jump up in my rankings, regardless of how actual technical you are or how refined your skills are, because that dog mentality, you make one play and that changes the whole mentality of that defense. And, Absolutely. and, and, and I mean, go out anybody who is not familiar, watch Baylor play Oklahoma this past year and then watch their two games against Oklahoma State. It's some of the most impressive film, period, just defensively watching Baylor. They, they're extremely impressive defensively. And Petrie, to that point of being able to do it all from playing close to the line of scrimmage to out by the numbers if need be, he's one of those He's one of those rare types of guys who has a great understanding of how to fit into a defense and make the most out of it. You know, that that's one of the reasons why I've been so big on him. Fantastic. I love it. The last guy we're going to talk about, and then we'll wrap this show up. I appreciate your extra time here tonight um, is Nick Cross. Um, Nick Cross is a guy who, again, I watch on tape and I, I see some great, you know, some, some quality tape. I see some good uh, quality skills and, and traits in that perspective. And then he went out and showed out how athletic he can be at the combine. So 
talk to me a little, talk to the, you know, the folks that are listening here uh, a little bit about him. Of course, we're a little bit more familiar since we're a lot of the listeners here are probably Gopher fans and, uh, right. and, and the right. watching them in the big 10. Right. Yeah. So 100%. I mean, again, athletically to show up and run sub four, four as a safety, it's a rare, it's a rarity. So that immediately, you know, kind of piqued my interest to go see four, three, four, I believe he ran at the combine. Um, and like you said, he, he flashes a little bit on tape, being able to come out of the roof in the middle of the field and go play the ball in the air. That shows the speed, the change of direction ability, you know, being able to play angles. Um, I do think that he can maybe grow a little bit as a tackler more consistently. Um, but I do think that he can do a few different things for you schematically and a great scheme or excuse me, a great depth piece in any scheme because of his speed. Um, I, the one thing I will say that kind of leaves you kind of desiring the most is just the fact that he might not be a man coverage guy, somebody who can roll down and play over, you know, a slot receiver and in these obvious passing situations and things like that. But I do think that it can be developed based on his athletic profile. And if you're dropping him over, you know, maybe a tight end who's not a Travis Kelsey type, I think that he might be able to stand up in those situations. And at worst, if he can't, you can put him in the middle of the field and he's got the speed to be able to play from numbers to numbers. Right. If not sideline to sideline. Um, so so that is something that's intriguing and, and maybe something good to have, you know, at number two on the depth chart. Some guy that you can maybe develop into becoming a dude later on down the line. I love it. I, I love all the information I got tonight. And I, I didn't get a chance to tell you pre-show, but um, I um, I don't know a ton about the draft guys, so I'm I'm learning with the fans here this evening, and and you provided just a, I, I love following your Twitter, and and you were just as advertised as you are on your Twitter. So thank you so much for showing up tonight and uh, providing just great content and, and great feedback on on a lot of these players. And, so and apologies. And apologies again for the technical. I mean, obviously, I don't think it really affected you and me necessarily while we, while Matt was doing all that. <laughs> we're, we're testing out sound, so if folks when when folks join us here live next week for the draft, yes. they'll be able to hear the show um, through the speakers and stuff. So we're figuring some of that stuff again, Deontay. I really appreciate your flexibility with that and and uh, helping us navigate through that with some really really great content. Oh man, no sweat at all. Like I said, thank you guys for having me. Hey, and um, with they, we obviously oh. know with the reef being on the athletic, and now Deontay's on the athletic. The yes. athletic is running a dollar a month deal. Yes, if you want some awesome writing on football by some of the greatest minds in the country, sign up and you get to read Deontay anytime you want. Oh man, my bosses are going to be so happy to hear you say that. <laughs> I, I didn't have to plug it at all, man. I appreciate you, <laughs> Dave. Hey, you forgot to mention our, our really our really good friend of the show, Chad Graff, as well, who works for the, for the Athletic. That's so right. um, Chad does too. We got, we got him as well. Um, Deontay, I mean, the selling point for us here at this publication is that we've got all the best sports writers, man. It's something I believe in. So one hundred percent, check this out. The content is incredible at the Athletic, and yes, I, I share Dave and Deontay's sentiment. If you have not subscribed to that, go subscribe to it. Um, like as well I said, as- they're only charging a dollar a month. Folks, you can't beat that. That's not even a can of soda. You can do that for a quality, <laughs> superb football writing. Um, Deontay, before I let you go, I want to give you a chance to plug yourself and anything you might be working on. So let the fans know where they can find you, 
um, in, in, in what are you working on? Uh, I assume you got something coming out here right before the end of the, uh, the, the NFL draft. Um, yeah. So for me, number one, social media, Deontay Lee FB, all one word, uh, on Twitter is where you can find me as far as social media goes. That's a great hub in terms of what I'm working on and putting out. Um, I'll be guesting on the athletic NFL show with Robert Mays, you know, kind of doing the last little bit of draft prep. You know, we're planning some things content wise, the days of the draft, you know, so I'm really kind of excited to roll some of that stuff out. So be on the lookout for it. Uh, most recently this past week, wrote something up on a first round mock draft. So if you need something to yell at or be upset about, please feel free to go there and leave a comment. You know, it always makes for great conversation. Um, I'm working on a, a sauce versus Stingley piece which would obviously be really relevant for you know what we're talking about with the vikings so that might be something of interest for you guys i believe that'll be running by the end of this week so be on the lookout for that as well um and then like i said next week you can probably catch me on a bunch more podcasts radio spots etc etc i'm trying to kind of spread my wings now that i've got (laughs) this new gig so you'll be hearing me talk about you know all these guys over and over again between now and next friday I love it, and I'm I'm looking forward to that uh, that sauce for Stingley uh, uh, right up this week. Uh, I I will for sure view it and comment and share as much as I can. So again, thank you uh, for joining tonight, Deontay. Uh, for everybody in the thank chat, you. thank you as well. Um, if you're listening on on the pod, thank you for listening. Um, just a reminder: in about nine days, we will be right back here at Lake Monster Brewing, Friday, April 29th. For the live draft show, um, we will be here from 5.30 all the way until the end of day two. Um, but that's not our only coverage for the NFL draft. We are also all NFL draft starting Thursday night, um, Friday, and Saturday. We will have you covered. It's all three days. Climb in the pocket live coverage NFL draft. We have all your climbing the pocket personalities uh, scheduled to be on the show. So make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Tune in for that fantastic show. And if you're in the Twin Cities, come join us at Lake Monster next Friday night. We have beer. We have giveaways. We have a potential Vikings jersey giveaway. And so it will be loaded with a lot of fun. So um, TBD on there. If there's a Vikings happy hour next Wednesday, we might take the week off. We might release a mock draft pre-recorded. So stay tuned for that. But otherwise, thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Dave. And a huge special thank you to Deontay. Um, That's all we have. Dave, take us home. Hey, I want to thank Deontay. You've been great tonight. Appreciate you coming on. Look forward to reading more of your stuff because I did look. And uh, also some of the stuff on PFF. And Mm -hmm. it's it's looking great. Tomorrow night, for those that are watching, we have Vikings Hot Takes. And the great Blip Mozzie and Eric Thompson are going to be debating six players. Six that they think the Vikings might take in round one. So it should be interesting. Then, of course, on Saturday, you get me and Darren Campbell, the two old bloggers, wrapping up the week and getting ready for draft week, baby. What do we say, guys? Skull Vikings. (laughs) Skull Vikings! Thanks for watching. Like, subscribe, and ring the bell, and rate us on your favorite aggregator. And a special shout-out goes to our partners, The Daily Norseman, where the best Vikings content can be found, and to Lake Monster Brewing. 
home of the best beer in Minnesota. Skull, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>